Bible, I invite you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had to be reminded? Take out the trash. Do your homework. Don't forget your anniversary. Don't forget my birthday. Anybody here ever need to be reminded? My wife had to remind me just today. I forgot to ask our guest to fill out this card. So if you're a guest today, please fill out the card that's in the pew rack in front of you. You can't place it in the offering plate this time, so that's okay. There's something you can do that's even better. If you'll take it after worship and hand it to one of these folks out in the foyer, they'll give you a free gift as a way of saying thank you for being here today. So fill that out and place that out there. If you can't find where that is, hand it to me. I'll be glad to uh, take that as well. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, sometimes you need to be reminded. Reminding. That's what Peter is doing here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. For the next several weeks, we're going to spend time reminding you of some things. Things that many of you already know, and some you may have questions about, such as, is the Bible really true? And who is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? And how does the Godhead work together? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to place your faith in Jesus Christ? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? How do you live this Christian life moment by moment and day by day? We're going to talk about a lot of those things and more in the next several weeks, because we all need to be reminded. Peter continues here in verse 13. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Peter says, in essence, I'm not going to be here that much longer. This earthly body is a tent. But as long as I'm here, I'm going to continue to remind you of the things that you need to know and to do in your life. The Apostle Paul said something similar to a young pastor by the name of Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. He said, the things that you have heard from me, you need to entrust into others who can entrust those to others who can entrust those to others. And that's what we do as a church. We remind you of what it means to know Christ and to follow Christ. And some of the things that we say, you've heard over and over and over and over again. Why do we do that? Because we want you to remember. We don't want you to forget what it means to know Christ and to follow Christ. That's vitally important as a church. It's vitally important as a pastor that I do that. It's vitally important that we do that with our Sunday school classes. It's vitally important that you do that as a parent. That you've got to keep on reminding your children of what it means to know and to love and to follow Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that everyone will heed our reminders. Sometimes people will not. 
And sometimes they don't right now, but maybe they will later. Peter continues in verses 13 and 14. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Scholars agree that Peter died a martyr's death. Tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down. Peter knows this time left on earth is short. Doesn't have a lot of time left. Hopefully, I'm not getting ready to die a martyr's death. And I don't plan to retire anytime soon. But I also know that our time together is limited. You see, we live in a highly mobile area. We have a lot of military who move in and out and others who move in and out. And while you're here, we want to invest in you for as long as you're here. Whether you're here for six months or a year or 60 years, we want to invest in your life. Because compared to eternity, even 60 years is less than a snap of the finger, right? And so we have a limited amount of time and we've got to invest in one another for the glory of Jesus Christ. We have a limited amount of time and we've got to start early. That's one reason why we invest so much in our preschoolers and in our children. You see, there's a whole lot of people who are in worship today who are not in here because they're downstairs with the preschoolers. And we invest in their lives because they need to know what it means to know Christ. And we've got to start early. And we need people who have a passion to invest their lives in the little ones. Because if we don't invest in the little ones, one of these days they're going to be the big ones. And the big ones are not going to be as interested as the little ones. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, suffer the children to come into me. For such is the kingdom of God. We've got to start early. Repeat after me. We've got to start early. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you into doing something, okay? We need workers, but we don't just need warm bodies. We need people who are going to invest in the vision, in the mission of reaching preschoolers and children and young people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's one reason why we offer Sunday school for all ages. It's not just for the children. It's for everybody, young and old, to continue to grow in Jesus Christ. And if you're not in a Sunday school class, I'd encourage you to check one out. Right, Carol? That's one reason why we do Experiencing God. Because we want to help you understand in a greater and deeper, more powerful way what it means to know Jesus Christ and to walk with Him moment by moment and day by day. I'm not interested in having a church that's 10 miles wide and 2 inches deep. I want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to help you to become all that God has called you to be in this world. My hope and my prayer is that if you're with us when you leave this place, whether that's six months from now or 60 years from now, that you're going to grow in Christ while you're here. And so we remind you, we encourage you and what it means to know and to love and follow Jesus Christ. Our goal is not to give you a bunch of fluff and stuff and send you on your merry way. 
We want to help you be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Him. I want to know Christ above everything else. Paul said, I want to know Christ. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, Paul is spoken there in Philippians. Peter is speaking here. And he says, in the context here, if you go back a few verses, verses 3 and following, the context that Peter's talking about, when he's talking about reminding these people, is this. Go back to verse 3. It says, God's divine power has given us everything. Say everything with me. Everything that we need for life and godliness. God gives you what you need to follow Him, to trust Him, to love Him, and to serve Him. But then he says, make every effort. Lean up just a little bit on your pew for a second. I want you to lean up for just a second, okay? Make every effort. Say with me, make every effort. How many of you watched the football game yesterday? A lot of you did, right? And when those football players got out there, they just kind of said, okay, it's kickoff. Okay, kick the ball. Let's just kind of jog. Is that what they did? Not unless they want to sit on the bench, right? They're going after it. And some of you, when you were watching the football game, you were going after it, weren't you? Come on, team, right? You're screaming at the TV. Well, how much more are we follow Jesus Christ with a passion? And Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter is reminding these people of these things. Peter is addressing several churches located in Asia Minor, which is basically the same area as our modern-day Turkey. He continues here in verse 15. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Listen. One day, I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be here, Peter says. And I don't want you to forget this stuff after I'm gone. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. The context that Peter is talking about here is probably the Mount of Transfiguration. Perhaps you remember that in the Bible. Jesus appears up on a mountain with a glimpse of his glory being shown as his face is shining like the sun. His clothes are whiter than any launderer could wash them. And Moses and Elijah are with him. And Peter gets so excited. He said, hey, let's build three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one Elijah. Let's just hang out. And God says, hey, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not Moses and Elijah. Listen to this guy. That's kind of the context that Peter's talking about here. But that's not the only time they saw his glory. They saw Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. They saw his glorified body. They saw him ascend into heaven. And Peter says, we didn't make this stuff up. If they did, they might have told the story a little differently. They didn't always come out like heroes, did they? What did Peter do? He denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. What did James and John do? They had their mother, either her initiative or theirs, either way, it's embarrassing, go to Jesus and say, hey, can one of us sit on the left hand and one on the right hand when you get to your kingdom, Jesus? How many of you adults would like to have your mother go to your boss and say, hey, can my son have a promotion? Can my daughter have a promotion? They're 30 years old. Come on now. 
But that's what mama did. Embarrassing. On the night before Jesus was crucified, you know what the disciples were doing at the Last Supper? They were arguing among themselves which one of them would be the greatest. Embarrassing. And yet they embarrassed themselves over and over again. If they would have been writing this story just on their own accord, they probably wouldn't say so many bad things about themselves. But they're telling the truth. Listen, the disciples all failed at one time or another. But they understood something. Their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He never failed. I don't care who you are. Sometimes you're going to blow it. Turn to your neighbor and say, sometimes you're going to blow it. Sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to fail. We all do, right? Jesus Christ is the only perfect person who ever lived, okay? Sometimes you're going to fail. But thank God we serve someone who never failed. The disciples all failed at one time or another. But they understood some their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He never failed. Here in verse 17, Peter refers to the time of the transfiguration when God the Father spoke from heaven and repeated what he said at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter continues in verse 18. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter says, I was there on the mountain with James and John when Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah. And it was amazing. What was promised in the Old Testament was confirmed in the New. Verse 19. We also had the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Yes, Peter heard the voice of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes, he saw a glimpse of Jesus' glory while he was here on earth. But Peter says, I also have the written word of God passed down through the ages. Peter didn't just have his personal experience with Jesus, which was incredible, amen? Peter also said, I got the word of God. It's been written over the last several hundred, even thousands of years. Peter continues in verse 19. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Amen? Question. How many of you own a Bible? Probably all of you. If you don't, there's one in your pew. Feel free to take it home with you. You won't be stealing. We'll give it to you, okay? Just take it home. Or, how many of you have a cell phone? Probably everybody. Everybody over three has a cell phone these days, right? I got a six-year-old saying, I don't have one. All right, well, that's a conversation between you and your parents, okay? Anyway, if you have a cell phone, guess what? You have access to a Bible. In fact, you don't just have access to a Bible. You have dozens and translations that you can listen to or read on the Bible, in the Bible, with the Bible. Amen? So there's no excuse. All of us own a Bible, and most of us believe God's Word, but too often we don't heed God's Word. We don't do what God tells us to do in His Word. Verse 19 goes on. You'll do well to pay attention to it, to God's Word, the Bible, as to a light shining in a dark place until the light, the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. The day dawning and the morning star rising refers to the return of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again? All right. More people on this side than that side. No, probably all of you, right? So here's the question. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? 
See, nobody knows when he's coming back. He could come back before this sermon is over. He could come back a thousand years from now. We do not know when he is coming. But we do know he is coming, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, he is coming. Amen. Question is this, are you ready? What if you knew Jesus Christ was coming back in the next 30 seconds? How many of you would be like, Lord, could I have a little more time? I got some sin I want to confess. I got some people I want to make things right with. See, you don't know. He could come back before this sermon is over. Nobody knows. Or you could have a heart attack or be in a car accident and die before you get home today. Nobody knows. But we all know this. We need to be ready. Because nobody knows when it's going to be. Go to verse 20. Above all. You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. There are several possible interpretations here. One of those is Scripture should only be interpreted in context. So you don't simply go to a verse in Genesis and go to a verse in the Psalms and go to a verse in Proverbs and go to a verse in Isaiah and go to a verse in Romans at random and say, Okay, I just look at all those verses and that's what I'm supposed to do. There's a lot of crazy stuff that you could probably do, like Judas going to hang himself. You don't think you want to do that, do you? Well, we got to read the Bible and understand what God was saying to the people to begin with. And then we look at how it applies to us. Here's the second thing. Scripture cannot be interpreted apart from the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can be the greatest intellect in this room. And you can read every scripture verse and every Bible commentary that has ever been printed and not really know Jesus Christ. Because God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed himself to us. The third and most likely meaning of this verse is scripture did not come about by the prophet's own initiative. Moses didn't say to himself, you know, I've had a lot of really incredible experiences with these Jews out here in the wilderness. I think I need to write a book about it. Publish my memoirs. That's not it. Jeremiah didn't say, you know, I think I'll go on a book tour. I'm going to write a book and name it after myself. I'll call it Jeremiah. And then I'm going to write a sequel later called Lamentations of Jeremiah. Isaiah didn't say, you know what? I'm a pretty talented writer. I've got a way with words. You know, if I would write a book, maybe I could retire and then I could just sell my books. It would be incredible. That's not why these books were written in the Bible, are they? You know that. Go to verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. That prophets, though human, spoke by God, from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is written by human beings using their personalities, their experiences, and their literary styles. But they were directed by God to write exactly what God wanted them to write without error. As a person, Peter was flawed, obviously, right? Paul was flawed. Jeremiah was flawed. Isaiah was flawed. Every single writer of every single book of the Bible was flawed. But these very flawed men were inspired by God to write exactly what God wanted them to write. They're not simply writing down an informed opinion. They're writing down the word of God as God intended it to be written. And many of the writers, particularly in the Old Testament, were writing down prophecies. 
predictions of what was to come, many of which have already come true. Amen? For example, Micah predicted hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born that he would be born and where he would be born. Zechariah tells us hundreds of years before Jesus came that Jesus would ride into town on a donkey. Isaiah tells us how Jesus would die. Hundreds of years before it happened. Prophecy after prophecy, prediction after prediction from the Old Testament have already been fulfilled. Not only prophecies about Jesus, but about nations, many of which have already come true. Prophecy affirms the Bible as God's inerrant word. So does archaeology. Nelson Gluck was probably the greatest Israeli archaeologist in modern history. He said this. It may be stated categorically. That means without exception. That no archaeological discovery has ever controverted, contradicted, or ever been able to deny the truth of a single biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. So what this scholar is saying is that there has never been an archaeological find that contradicts the Word of God. He's also saying there are a lot of archaeological finds that actually confirm the Word of God. Now, a lot of people are honest skeptics, great people, sincere people. Some of you may be there. It's like, I don't have anything against the Bible. I think it's a good book. But I just really don't know if a lot of that stuff is true. I mean, could Jesus really walk on water? Could he really have been born of a virgin? Could he really rise from the dead? And maybe you're an honest skeptic today. You're not against it. You just wonder if that could really be true. A lot of other people don't believe the Bible because they don't want to obey what God tells us in the Bible. Some of you may be there. It's like, yeah, it's probably true, but I don't want to believe it because I don't want to live it. I don't want to give my life to God, and so I'm not sure I want to believe that. Whatever your case, I am glad that you're here today. And I want to say this. God loves you. Jesus Christ came for you. And he died on a cross for you. And we love having you come. Because we want to share with you the love of Jesus Christ and his goodness and truth. Amen? We love having people who don't yet know Christ with us. Now, there are a lot of facts to back up the truth of Scripture, but there's also something about faith in God that goes beyond factual analysis. I would challenge you, encourage you, if you don't know if you believe the Bible, to be honest with God and just say, God, I'm not sure I believe all this stuff. God's not going to say, oh, I didn't know that. God knows everything. He's not surprised if you tell him you don't really believe it. Just tell him, God, I'm not sure if I believe all of this. That's a good place to start. If you know somebody who doesn't believe in the word of God, I would encourage you to pray for them that God might open their eyes. You see, God is the initiator in this love relationship that we have with him. Nobody can be smart enough to just figure it out and be saved. No, God is the one who initiates the simple gospel of Jesus Christ so that we might understand it. And he gives us faith to believe. And so if you know somebody who does not yet believe, pray for them that God would speak to their hearts and draw him or her to himself. If you are struggling to believe God's word, you're not alone. Did you know some of the greatest men and women who ever lived have struggled? 
to believe whether or not God's word is true. Even some of the greatest Christians who've ever lived have struggled in whether or not they believe the Bible is true. How many of you have ever heard of Billy Graham? A lot of people have. Good guy. Greatest evangelist of modern times, perhaps. At least in my lifetime. Amazing man. He's the most famous evangelist of the past hundred years. But there was a time as a young man early in his preaching ministry that he struggled to believe the Bible. Did you know that? In fact, he was already preaching the gospel with some success. And there's another guy by the name of Charles Templeton who is also a dynamic young preacher. And Charles Templeton began to have doubts about whether or not God's word is true. And Charles Templeton also went to a liberal seminary called Princeton Theological Seminary on the East Coast. And he began to increase in his doubts. He told Billy Graham, he said, Billy, there's a lot of that stuff in the Bible. It's just not true. And so Billy began to wrestle because he wants to be honest intellectually. He doesn't want to just throw everything away and say, well, I'm just going to believe. So he begins to wrestle with this. And he struggled. He's already preaching the gospel to people. He's in his 30s, as I recall. He struggled until one night, during a walk in the woods, Billy Graham set his Bible on a stump and he cried out, Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions people are raising. And then Graham fell to his knees and the Holy Spirit moved in and he said, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts and I'll believe this to be your inspired word. And the rest, they say, is history. Shortly after that, he went to Los Angeles and preached a crusade. And God began to use Billy Graham in a greater way than he ever done before. I'd encourage you today, if you have doubts about God's word, do what Billy Graham did. Say, God, I, I have some doubts. I have some struggles. But God, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to believe that your word is true. I would challenge you to do that for the next 30 days. God, I'm going to live my life as though I believe your word is true because I want to believe that. And if it is true, please help me to know that because I'll follow you, Jesus, if you just help me to know it's true. Josh McDowell is one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith in the past 100 years. But he started out as a skeptic. His aim was to prove the Bible wrong. But the more he researched it, the more he came to realize God's word really is true. Now, for most of us, we believe the Bible. Our problem is we don't live like we really believe it. Maybe some of us did at one time. We've kind of drifted away from God. I'm here to remind you today that Jesus Christ loves you. And Jesus Christ sent his word that we might know him better. And that we might understand him better. And how to live our lives better. If you really believe the Bible is God's word, study it. 2 Timothy 2.15 so study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word rightly dividing literally means cutting it straight. Have I got any carpenters in the room? I know I got a few. When you saw a board, if you're building a box or a piece of furniture or a room onto a house, what do you do? You measure it. Probably draw a line. And you want to cut that board straight, right? 
because you won't all crooked. Well, that's what the Bible is saying here is we need to cut it straight. We need to understand what God's word is saying. So we want to apply it to our lives. If you really believe the Bible is true, then read it and study it. But don't just read it. Don't just study it. The Pharisees did that. Did they not? They knew the Bible better than the disciples knew it. They didn't live the Bible. and They didn't follow Jesus Christ. And they didn't follow God in a love relationship. By God's grace, live what you say you believe. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 to 12, that it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. God's word is a weapon that we might use as we fight Satan and we fight temptation and we struggle as we follow him in this world. Ephesians 6, 17 says the Bible is the sword of the spirit. So God has given his word as a weapon that we might be victorious in this world. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture, say all scripture with me, all scripture is inspired by God. Literally, God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. God's word is not just a good book. It is our guide for life. Moment by moment and day by day. You want life to count for something? Saturate your life with God's word. Psalm 1 says, blesses the man. The woman, the person, who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate both day and night. He's thinking about the word of God night and day. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. You want to know the favor and blessing upon your life from God? A good place to start is to saturate your life with God's word every single day. Some of you say, well, I just don't have time for that. Listen, how many of you watch at least 15 minutes a day of TV? More than three, I'm sure. <laughs> how many spend at least 10 minutes on Facebook every day? A lot, right? How many do something else? Other than reading God's word, it probably takes more than 10 or 15 minutes a day. Probably almost all of us. And I'm a pretty busy guy, and I'm not retired, okay? I don't just preach on Sundays, and that's all I do, okay? I actually work, okay, every day, okay? And so I'm pretty busy, and, and God began to, to put it on my heart. I need to spend more time in his words. Like, well, how am I going to do that? So you know what I have that most all you have is a telephone. I have a cell phone, and on your cell phone, you can get a Bible app, okay? If you don't know how to do it, do what I did. Ask your daughter. Ask a young person, okay? <laughs> Ask somebody to help you, okay, Terry? Maybe Carol can help you. All right. My wife has to help me sometimes with a lot of things. Anyway, so I started thinking, you know, I spent about an hour a day walking my dog. Not necessarily my favorite thing to do, but I, I do that. And I started thinking, you know, I could spend an hour a day listening to God's Word on my phone. And it's amazing. It's like I'm listening to God's word and I'm just honoring God, worshiping God. It's incredible. I'm just kind of walking around like I'm on a cloud. It doesn't exactly work that way, okay? It's helpful, but it's not always like peaches and cream, okay, like yesterday. I was out walking the dog out on the edge of the golf course and, and sometimes he pulls me and sometimes I pull him because he wants to lay down and roll around in the grass. Well, yesterday I was walking the dog, Carol, and I was walking and all he stopped. 
Like, oh, there he is. He's wallowing in the grass again. Sure enough, he was. But then I looked down. It wasn't just grass. There was dog doo-doo, a big pile of it. And he lays down and then just wallows all over it. He's covered in the stuff. I didn't say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I said, dog, we're going now. And I said, Michaela, that's my 16-year-old dog. I said, Michaela, your dog needs cleaning up. So we had a little family meeting, my wife, my daughter, and me, and we, we gave the dog a bath. But 99% of the time, that doesn't happen. So it's not always easy to fill your life with God's Word, but there are ways that you could do that. And I would encourage you to take time every day to listen to, to read, to, to saturate your life with the Word of God. Not out of some kind of legalistic duty. The Pharisees did that. But out of a love for relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe riding to work. Picking up the kids at school. All kinds of time. Taking a shower. Getting ready to go to work. Whatever you're doing. Take time. To listen to. To think about. To hear. To read. The word of God. And as you do that. I believe God's going to bless you for it. Amen.